a content warning for this episode. The book itself and our discussion covers child abuse as well as child sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, and that is throughout the episode. So if that is not something that you would be comfortable hearing, it would be a good idea to skip this one. It's it's not super explicitly graphic by any means, but it, it is a, a theme. Thanks. Now the episode. We have a new review to shout out. Yay, yay. Review, review, review. We only shout out our U.S. Apple podcast reviews because those are the ones that we can see. When we started this podcast, I didn't really consider that we'd have an international following. And we do, which is really awesome. Um, But yeah, it's just a little harder to see your reviews. So thank you. But you don't get individual shout outs, at least not now. But for this reviewer, this review is from Isabel Susana. Thank you so much for your review. It really made our day. Anyone who reviews gets a badass lady meter rating. And Isabel Susana, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Your rating is a Coraline-style creepy mansion, but without an evil doll people inside. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for your review. If you'd like to leave us a review, just hit up the Apple Podcasts app. Hello, I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. That's what we do. This week, Pet by Akweke Emizi. Angelic Screaming. (laughs) We are covering some contemporary fantasy books by Black authors, and so that's why we have chosen Pet. It's not one we've read before, but... We loved getting to experience it. If there are any contemporary books by BIPOC authors that you would like us to check out, just send us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and uh, this author is non-binary as well. We got to hear from a black voice as well as an LGBTQIA voice. Thank you. That's what I was trying to come up with. (laughs) And I really enjoyed that experience. And we were thinking about seeking out more fantasy books by trans non-binary authors Mm -hmm. after reading Tahanu because we were talking so much about gender and the way that it informs work. And so this was kind of the perfect opportunity. Yeah. This book was published in 2019. This is Akweke Amisi's debut YA novel. They have also written a few adult fantasy novels. I believe they're fantasy, um, which I'm also excited to check out. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before, run along to your local library or independent bookshop or more likely get on your computer. Yeah. Yeah. find a copy audible has we can't uh, we still can't do things in person yeah. when you know a year ago we we're like hey we'll, we'll cover quarantine reads but now we're just doing whatever again because time goes on yeah and it's forever this is forever this is this is endless yeah this is life we will start with a description of the book's cover to discuss how the 
publisher chose to package and promote this book. There are two cover variations that I've seen um, that are by the same artist. They're beautiful paintings. Um, the artist is Shyama Golden. hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay, so this uh, cover has a gem. Um, she, uh, I think, she, yeah, she's wearing her pajamas, which are solar system themed. They're really cute. <laughs> and she has uh, green fluffy slippers on and she is, she's holding a feather, um, like a giant feather that clearly came from Pet. Um, and she, her figure is superimposed upon a, a grid, like a, a far away neighborhood landscape, and you get to see the really cool architecture of Lucille. Um, and uh, it's it's on this like purple background, and the buildings are all kind of orangish yellow. Um, I, I like it a lot. Honestly, it reminds me of from uh, we we had a like a maze book growing up with big full color mm, illustrated mm -hmm. like castle maze or like yeah. swamp maze that's kind of what it reminds me of and i loved that book because i just loved like staring at it and i didn't care about the mazes i just wanted to it's kind of like a where's waldo thing yeah or the i spy books yeah yeah exactly um so it kind of gives me that vibe which i am into um, the color scheme is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> the color scheme is so cool. And uh, just now I'm just like staring at the the little trees lining different lots. And like you can tell that a lot of uh, work and detail went into this. There's even little cars. I hadn't noticed those before. Okay. And the, the word pet uh, is... Feathered. It, it has really cool feathering, actually. I really like the way they did it. It looks very alive and really like wings. Uh, so I give this cover, uh, let's, let's give it the usual rating. When I like it is 10 out of 10. <laughs> We're simple here at Dragon yeah. Babies. If, if I like it, it gets a good rating. I'm not going to split hairs. And if this is your first episode, we pretty much just love everything that we cover. So yeah. more positivity ahead. Yeah. And now we will discuss the plot overview just to give everyone an idea of what the story is like. Pet takes place in a contemporary American city. I did some research and Akweke Amazi said that it is set in the United States, um, which is hard to tell because it is a sort of utopia that has some specifiers that make it clearly a part of our world, mm -hmm. because mainly because of authors that are referenced. Mm -hmm. Like N.K. Jemison is mentioned, um, the poet Gwendolyn Brooks is uh, lions are used in Lucille's sort of rallying cry, we are each other's harvest. Yeah, it's a really cool motto. And the city has eradicated all corruption, evil, crime, evil. They've gotten rid of what they call the monsters. They yeah. say another, um, another sort of mantra 
for the people of Lucille is there are no monsters left in Lucille. Mm-hmm. And they don't have prisons. Instead, they have rehabilitation centers, which mm-hmm. is where the monsters have been sent and where they are being taught, rehabbed. We don't know. We don't go to a rehabilitation center. We don't get too much detail, but... It's essentially it sounds better than prison. It does. Yeah. Um, it's essentially a perfect-looking version of the world that we are all currently mired in, and yeah, it's a utopian version of that. And the monsters were driven out by angels, mm-hmm. and we get angels described in a few different ways. There are the angels of old who are mysterious godlike creatures mm-hmm. and then there are sort of everyday angels that are regular adults who have had some kind of role in the revolution and have helped to put the monsters in places where they can be mm-hmm. retaught yeah re you know it's it's the idea of you know, rehabilitative justice rather than retributive justice yes and the main character is a 16-year-old, 15-year-old. Oh, I thought she was younger than that. Yeah, which is something we should talk about. It's kind of hard to tell how old she is. She's and treated like a younger child yeah. than she is, but she is a teenager. She's, and she's also an only child, mm-hmm. so it makes sense that her parents would be super protective of mm-hmm. her, and she's also trans, mm-hmm. although it's, it seems... Like you don't face prejudice and scary stuff, but they remember the old world. So maybe that's why they would be more protective of her. And that's one of the ways in which the world is utopian, Mm -hmm. where Jam can be a black trans girl Mm -hmm. and be safe, be loved universally. Yeah, her parents were super supportive. Yeah, be able to fully... Uh, medically and then surgically transition. Yep, make at, all their own at decisions. a young age. Yeah, um, and be able to grow up and experience puberty in the gender that they are. Which is so important for trans folks because, like, during puberty, you go through a lot of changes, and if it's not the gender that you are, that's so incredibly harmful. Yeah, it causes a so lot much dysmorphia. of dysmorphia. And so Jam lives in Lucille with her parents, Bitter and Aloe. The names in this book are very cool. I want to talk about those too. Yeah, the names Um, are awesome. (laughs) And her mom is a painter. Her dad is a uh, EMT. Hmm. But Bitter and Aloe. mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's their only child, like Madeline mentioned. Mm -hmm. Jam also has a best friend named Redemption, and they have a super sweet, wholesome, intimate, loving friendship. Yeah. And she is also selectively verbal. So she she chooses chooses when she wants to sign, when to speak speak or sign. And speaking is something that she. it often isn't really comfortable with, especially Mm -hmm. in groups of people. And she has um, had that experience and that level of speaking and non-speaking throughout her life. Mm -hmm. And so she signs with people who are very close to her who have learned how to sign. Yeah. And and I thought that was also like just a further uh, like utopian thing. Mm -hmm. Just... 
unilaterally or sorry universally accepting Mm -hmm. that this is how she prefers to communicate Mm -hmm. so the people who love and care about her learn that way to communicate yeah there's so much acceptance of meeting every character where they are um and the uh, representation from the start is just so exceptional yeah because the main character is black is trans signs um and then there are other characters like there is a polyamorous marriage Mm -hmm. and one of redemption's parents is also Mm non-binary and everything is very clear very clearly mentioned but it doesn't become a quake amazing really lets the reader you know just pick it up and move on there isn't dwelling on it or explaining like this is why it's okay that right. this character yeah. is trans mm-hmm. um, or really anything along those lines. And I appreciated that. And I think that's great for young readers too. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times, usually when there are non-gender conforming or trans folks in stories, like it, it's about them being bullied. It, it's about yes. bigotry and like horrible things that people say and do to them that they have to deal with. And it's so refreshing to just see people allowed to be who they want to be. And for, and we're getting into analysis already, but for Jam to also be trans and be a trans black girl, which is the group of people who experience the most violence right. um, in our world. Yeah. Um, our but non-utopian be, world. Our very non-utopian world. Um, but Lucille isn't a utopia either, which we'll get we'll, to. We'll get to. Yeah. Um, just do some but for her to have this safe, place to exist and to have a story that's not about her suffering her Mm -hmm. pain her murder um but instead be about her learning how to navigate the world and like be joyful and grow Mm -hmm. um and be loved is really beautiful yeah so (laughs) jam's mother finishes a painting that she's been working on for a while. And it is of this really frightening, intense looking creature that is feathered and has horns and has her mom's hands. Um, There are razor blades stuck into the canvas. It's intense. And bitter is even kind of, uncomfortable with it yeah and aloe says i think it's aloe who says you it feels like it wants to become real yeah and surprise it does he was right (laughs) jam is looking at the painting one night and she trips and falls onto it and cuts her hand on one of the razors yeah um which okay Well, clearly... Bitter knows that blood brings these creatures to life. And to put razor blades in the painting just seems like you're towing the line. I I interpreted it as like, okay, like she's she's being influenced by... Agreed. You know, that's yeah. part of her process, she says, to too. Out. Like yeah. she just paints and doesn't always and when know she's what's going to happen. And she's sort of in a trance. Yeah, yeah. So clearly Pet was like... Put a bunch of sharp things in me <laughs> so that someone will bleed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And once a few drops of Jam's blood fall onto the canvas, a transformation starts to happen. Not immediately. Jam leaves, goes back to her room, and then is very stressed about trying to get back in to clean up the blood and make it clear that she wasn't in there because mm-hmm. she just doesn't want to get in trouble for being in her mom's studio yeah, alone. So when she goes back to do that... There is a creature coming out of the painting. Um, it is alive. It is fully formed. And Jam helps it get out um, mm-hmm. by untangling its horns from some netherworld <laughs> painting place that yep. she puts her hand into. Yikes. <laughs> I like, I'm not it's putting my hand in there. Brave girl. I don't know if. You've seen this, but there was a real wild video, a TikTok, a series of TikToks recently about a woman who found a hole behind her bathroom mirror mm. that goes into an entirely different abandoned looking apartment. Mm. Very frightening. But in the Oof. video, she goes in like she puts on a headlamp, and climbs through the mirror hole and just from the start, I was like, I not only would not be going in, I would be leaving my apartment immediately. And I don't know, living with a friend. I, I would go in there with, done. with Ghost Adventures, Zach Baggins by himself. You referencing the ghost show that you and Nick like to watch? Yes. I'm just saying, I would not even go there with a whole team of paranormal investigators. I'm not, yeah. Not putting my hand in that painting. So the creature comes out and tells Jam that its name is Pet. And it can communicate with Jam mentally and also just kind of hears all of her thoughts um, and is clearly bonded to her because Jam is the one who brought Pet into the world. There is an interesting approach that's different from what I expected, where Pet is immediately like, we should go wake up your parents and tell them that I'm here, yep. which I appreciate it because I don't love the trope of kid hiding monster that they created or freed or, you know, are keeping. It's as- just It's just kind of played out. Yeah, and it's just stressful, and I'm stressed enough. I don't need I don't need that anxiety. <laughs> I hear the the ennui in your voice. I don't need any more. So they go talk to Jam's parents, who right away are like, "Not again!" Yeah, and Jam's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa. What? hang on there," and it becomes clear that Bitter has painted creatures to life before yeah um but she says i think that that was still during the revolution yeah um so that was a super different time um and there was more need for like a variety of different you know kinds of like maybe angel creatures coming out of paintings yeah um but bitter and aloe are pretty bothered but kind of treat pet as like just an annoyance to be resolved. So they tell Jam that she has to send it back and they're not listening to Pet's insistence that Pet has come because it needs to hunt a monster. Yeah. So they're just saying the mantra we mentioned, there are no monsters left in Lucille. Um, This is just ridiculous and Jam, you need to send Pet back. But Jam believes Pet and is extra concerned because Pet says the monster is in the House of Redemption, which when I first read it, I was like, 
what mystery is this? A right. puzzle to yeah. solve. And then I was like, it just means her friend Redemption's house. <laughs> I right away was like, oh, a Nancy Drew game type stuff. <laughs> totally. I can't wait to see the house of redemption. <laughs> like, oh, no, it's just Yoda speak for <laughs> Redemption's house. So Jan doesn't send Pet back, but Pet can selectively make itself visible to others. So Pet just kind of hides away. And they decide to tell Redemption about Pet so that they can start trying to get some clues as to who the monster is. Yeah. Yeah, Pet's like, we got to tell Redemption. We got to tell Redemption. He's going to help us. And Jim is like, I don't want to do that. He's going to be freaked out. He's not yeah. going to believe me. Like, I don't want to tell him there's a monster in his house. It's a little sinister. Yeah. To have your best friend tell you that. Yeah. Um, but... She ends up kind of guiding Redemption into figuring out a little bit more about what's going on. She does. She reveals Pet. Um, they tell Redemption that Pet has come. And Redemption can't, like, totally wrap his mind around it. And is yeah, he's, like, like, freaking out. <laughs> it's like, like Neo in The Matrix when he first finds out about it. That he's like, Bleh! and then he barfs so that he feels better. <laughs> what it made me think of. <laughs> yeah, similar vibes yeah. for sure. Um, but Jam doesn't tell him yet that the monster is in his house. So yeah. they go to the library and ask for more information about family monsters. From uh, Ube, the coolest librarian amazing ever. Librarian. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I love a good librarian character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ube was just so great. And Redemption makes fun of He like teases Jam for having like, oh, a crush go on see him. Your boyfriend. Like, yeah, I think that probably everyone has a crush on him. <laughs> Super cool dude. Um, so they get these pamphlets that Ube brings out for them that are basically like social work type pamphlets. Yeah. Um, they, they sound exactly like materials I have mm -hmm. personally read through before. <laughs> mm -hmm. About um, domestic abuse, yeah. mainly. Signs. Um, drug abuse, uh, different types of interpersonal relationship um, problems, and the ways in which we hurt one another. The ways in which humans are monstrous. Yes. Um, but Jam and Redemption have never seen anything like that because they live in a society without these types of problems. Yeah. So they're reading through the pamphlets, and Redemption gets really upset because he is reading a pamphlet about child abuse and potential signs to look for and realizes that his younger brother, Moss, is hiding bruises mm. from him. And he knows that he needs to investigate further. And he then, he realizes a little bit later because of something Pet says, because mm -hmm. Pet says... To both Jim and Redemption, my instructions weren't wrong. Yeah, Pet really likes to say that I was right. <laughs> yeah. Pet, which, I mean, he's an angel, so. Yeah, it, which we haven't it. said explicitly yet, but Pet <laughs> is an angel, which we, you know, you figure out pretty early on yeah. in the book, but is explicitly confirmed at the end. Yeah. Um, but I get it, like, being a sort of all-knowing, powerful creature and have the people around you being like, 
I don't believe you. Go back to where you came right, from. Yeah. Like there aren't any monsters here. Doesn't have much it's patience for that. Probably frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, Pet is a kind of annoying spiritual guide. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um like dispensing a lot of platitudes uh, while Jam is just persistently being like, um, hey, you like took us into the middle of a house that I don't want to be in right now. So could we like think about the practical pieces for a minute? <laughs> me and my friend are fighting. Why did you put me in his house? Because that's what happened. Redemption realizes that Jam was hiding yeah. this from him, mm-hmm. that she knew the monster was in his house. Um, so while they're having a fight and Redemption isn't speaking to her, Pet and Jam secretly warp inside Redemption's house to spy yep. <laughs> um, and try to get a little more information about what's going on. And they see Redemption going in to have a talk with his brother. And then they go outside and stop spying because Jam is like, this is not appropriate. I'm not allowing this. But Pet is getting like hungrier and hungrier and insistent that the monster, they're getting closer and closer to figuring it out. Hungry for the hunt. Too hungry for the hunt. Pet really wants to kill that monster. Yeah. So then Redemption chooses to call Jam and is like, okay, we... I'm sorry that I freaked out, but you shouldn't lie to me. And I tried talking to my parents. I told them that someone is hurting Moss and the person who's hurting Moss is my uncle, hibiscus. Because Moss draws a picture of a hibiscus flower when Redemption asks him who is hurting him. And Moss is really scared to talk about it because, like, in so many situations, Hibiscus has told him that if he says anything, people will get hurt yeah. and bad things will happen. Mm-hmm. And that it's a secret between the two of them. Which is, like, classic child abuser yeah. rhetoric. So, Redemption's parents don't believe him at all. Um, they say there are no monsters left in Lucille. They're very blind to the situation, similar to how Jam's parents treated Pet's insistence that it was there to hunt a monster. Yeah. So they decide that they're going to have to lure in hibiscus and trap him themselves so that pet can handle the situation. We don't really know what's going to happen yet. Redemption and pet both express a desire to enact violence on hibiscus. Basically they want to kill him. And Jam keeps saying, like, think about what you're saying. That is a life. Like this isn't how we handle and in particular she wants people to know about it. And she wants people to know that there are still monsters. There are still situations that need to be looked more closely at and, and they can't just think that everything's going to be perfect yeah so they lure hibiscus into i don't want to say lure they convince hibiscus to come to redemption's training room which is in the basement of their house because hibiscus is his coach yeah, um, redemption really is a fighter of some kind i don't think we know what discipline but he's like a very talented yeah. i thought he was like a boxer fighter yeah okay i i I don't think they ever say anything about like what type of fighting it is um and he tells hibiscus he's injured himself and that he needs help so hibiscus shows up and is just completely denying everything and then 
It's getting mean, kind of nasty. Mean, and then starts saying no one will believe you. Um, so the typical kind of like non-confession confession yeah. um, that often comes out in a situation like this. Um, and he starts getting violent with both jam and redemption. And then Pet appears and starts getting extremely violent mm-hmm. with hibiscus. And is going to kill him. And Jam talks Pet out of doing this and also just kind of enacts her will on it. Because she's um, the one who summoned him. Then Pet says, okay, I won't kill him, but there is something I need to do to make sure that he's honest about this. Yeah. Um, so then in a truly wild moment, um, Pet unfurls its angel wings um pretty much completely blinding everyone in the room but jam and redemption are told to hide their eyes and look away but jam sees the beginning of the incredible vast golden wings Mm -hmm. being unfolded and then pet um burns hibiscus's eyes out with its brilliance melts and burns them out like a like a Nazi in Indiana Jones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some face melting. Yeah. Um, definitely. At the, like the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and at that point, there's been a lot of noise, even for a soundproofed training room. Yep. So uh, all the adults have convened upstairs and they come down and they're like, oh my God, like, what is happening? <laughs> What's going on? Um, oh, also Jem's parents come. Because right. she, yeah. they realize she's gone they realize and they're she's like, oh, home. she's probably at Redemption's house. And show up um, because they had seen the two of them fight earlier. So at that point, Pet has disappeared mm-hmm. and the kids are left to go through the process of hearings um, for Hibiscus. He uh, is honest and open about... The abuse he's enacted. On yeah, he's Moss. he's just freaking out. Like, he's don't, don't let it come back. Don't let it come back. Like, yeah, has has kind of lost some of his faculties. Yeah, he's pretty broken. Um, and uh, so they go through that process. Um, we also find out that Hibiscus's wife, Redemption's aunt, Glass, um, knew that he that this had happened before. Um, and knew that it wasn't safe for him to be around children. Knew that he was a child abuser. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we uh, we get confirmation that it wasn't just physical, but also sexual. Yeah. Um, and it is horrific. So they um, are going to, yeah, receive some kind of rehabilitation. We don't know. Don't go into the details. But they make it through the trial. And at the end of the book, Pet comes back to say a sort of goodbye to Jam um, and, uh, you know, confirm once and all that once confirm for once and all that it is an angel. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it says, be don't not, be afraid, be not afraid. And then Pet goes away and, you know, the book ends. Mm-hmm. But in the end. Lucille as a whole knows that there is more work to be done. And although the great revolution was significant in 
eliminating a great number of monsters, they're never going to be able to just say everything is perfect now. And interestingly, Hibiscus was also like a key figure in the revolution. He was a soldier. So maybe there's also some problems inherent to the people that you think are the good ones. (laughs) And angels and monsters aren't people or what they do. Yeah, and um, I thought there was a lesson in there about like hero worship and it being dangerous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, no old and new impressions because we had not read this before. But let's just um, briefly, since I think we've kind of already talked through some of our overarching impressions, but was there anything that really stood out to you upon reading? Um, well, on the subject of like hero worship, I think at one point Pet says, um, I think he's, I think it says there are no good or bad people, right? Which I've, I thought was, cause I think that's a, a interesting uh, philosophical point about morality and, uh, they're not being good or bad people. There are just people who do good and bad things, um, which I personally, I like looking at the world better um, like that. And it really fits into the theme of uh, rehabilitative justice, because mm-hmm. if you if you truly believe that people are can be just bad, mm-hmm. um, then you would not believe in rehabilitative justice. Mm-hmm. Uh which, but I very much do. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've already talked about it, how much we like Jam as a character and just all of the safety surrounding her is like so refreshing. I really like her relationship with redemption. Um, her parents are really cute. Uh, and, uh, there's a lot of, um, cooking in this which we'll we'll get to we'll Great, get to amazing food yeah amazing yeah food. like the, the kind and the descriptions are so good and mm-hmm. they go beyond taste it's sight and smell so it really makes you attached to that food my mouth is watering it's <laughs> <laughs> thinking about those plantains um the dodo yeah yes yeah uh I would play this video game. I think it would be a, a really cool video game like happening in Lucille. It reminds me actually of Life is Strange in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. Where you do so much like just kind of regular living your everyday life, mm-hmm. but there is something uh, um, very dark going on under the surface um, even though it seems like everything is nice yeah um yeah i don't know if i wholeheartedly recommend life is strange it is a painful game but it's pretty tough it is cool and if you like story based um choose your own ending type games and there's there's a lot of dark themes and like abuse and mm-hmm. just pretty 
pretty rough human on human horror. Yeah, Madeline and I played it together. Yes. <laughs> um, because you make a lot of choices throughout the game that changes the direction that it takes. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say that the final choice we spent a good half hour talking about. I was happy. We made it. I was happy. In with the end, what we, we were happy with, with what yeah. we did. We also took the choice less chosen. Yes. Yeah. It was like <laughs> because the game fascinatingly shows you percentages um, of what the player base is. <laughs> pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, Life is Strange tangent, but this book did. Yeah, did make me think of. Yeah. What what sense. a game version of it could be like. I, I can think, definitely see that somewhere. Yeah. I agree that. So, like I said, Pet is sometimes annoying because Pet is dispensing these, like, great truths all the time. I imagine that an angel in real life is probably That's going to be like that, know. you know? Pet basically is, like, a Bible, but without all the messed up uh, human happenings. <laughs> Just the, like, greater concepts. Yeah. And Pet says things like, there are no good or bad people. And when Jam says, am I doing the right thing? Pet keeps saying, there isn't a right thing. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just the things that you do. You just have to do a thing. <laughs> All of which is really valuable because it does move you away from that narrative of, I'm good, they're bad, which often gets you into these unhealthy situations um, because you're seeing yourself as guided by this you know, great light and everyone else is just trying to tear you down. Which is, a, I think that a very harmful way of thinking. Yeah. That really removes so many opportunities for self-reflection. And that's really, I think it's a serious pitfall of many religions. Totally. Yeah. And that's the thesis of the whole book. Mm -hmm. Like the good aren't, can't even be called the good. Mm -hmm. Everyone is just a person. Yeah. And I think the concept of monsters and angels and the way it's introduced and then complicated by the text mm -hmm. is really well done. Um, it's basically a big parable. Um, and yeah. but, but one that it, I enjoyed reading and that didn't feel force-fed or like sickly in the way that so many parables do right. or like smug at all yeah and it yeah. is a more a way more complex message mm -hmm. um than like aesop's fables or something like that and then we have all the threads woven through it that make it so much more valuable like the representation and it's so cool to read a story that is set in a black community that is also a utopia, mm -hmm. utopia in quotes, yeah. but in one where there isn't suffering being dealt out to the black characters. Yep. Um, and there aren't, I mean, when the book at the very beginning of the book, there's a lot of discussion of cops murdering them, um, of, what our world looks like today and mm -hmm. especially our country. Yeah. Um, Billionaires running everything based yep. on self-interest. <laughs> yep. Um, but then instead of that, we get to go on this like intimate personal level with two different families and see what their day-to-day -day life is like yeah. without these really messed up overarching structures and um, inherent racism in yeah. their society 
Um, and it, in an, I read a, there's a great interview in Teen Vogue with the author. Um, and they said that they really wanted to make the town Lucille feel like one of Toni Morrison's towns, um, oh, which okay. I, to- I totally got that feel too, where yeah. it's like a little bit outside of what our world looks like, but it allows like a fully black community to exist without um, these, it's, I'm finding it hard not to swear in this episode. <laughs> say. Yeah. Um, what a disastrous state we are in currently, um, but without these outside forces coming in and harming, killing, or even just like disrespecting and subjugating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the fantasy of this book yeah. because I really liked the sort of religious fantasy that yeah. we get. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a lot of Madeline Langle's I was books. just going to say, Many Waters. Yep, um, because Pet is so similar to um, Progo. That's what they end up calling him. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, from And this is from A Wind in the Door. Yeah. Um, but then Many Waters also plays with the, like, terror of angels and i loved from the start of the book when jam is taking out books on angels and monsters from the library and there aren't really pictures of monsters and she's like well what did the monsters look like but all the pictures of angels are horrifying very upsetting <laughs> yeah. and you know look similar to pet and it's um, actually recently been i think it's a bit of a dead meme now like there was a, a round on the internet of everyone being like realistic angels they look horrified <laughs> yeah <laughs> because the bible de- describes them yep. as having like tons of eyes yeah a bunch <laughs> of wings <laughs> and um that's why the angel says be not afraid Exactly. Yeah. And there's a really funny line where Jam's like, yeah, if they look like that, I get why they're going around saying that to people. <laughs> it's like, calm down. Gonna I'm going to freak people out. Not going to kill you. And in that same Teen Vogue interview, Akweke Amizi says that they were raised super Catholic um, mm. and got very into the mythology of it all. There's a uh, lot of really fun mythology to pull from. For sure. Yeah. And <sighs> we were both raised quite Catholic um, as well. I totally relate to that because that was something I felt very Catholic, very religious when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was obnoxiously religious when I was a kid. (laughs) I was pretty intense about it. Yeah. Um, And these are the passages of the Bible that uh, make the whole thing worth it, you know, when you are learning about like how wild angels are. Yeah. Um, and like the, the revelations of it all, you know, there's, Um, there's a lot of great comic books and manga, um, that uses, uh, in particular, I'm thinking of Angel Sanctuary, which was a super long running manga. I don't even think that I finished it, but it uses all of the Christian myths as a backdrop and they, you know, go to different layers of hell and like heaven and all of that. And, Mm -hmm. That's smart because then mm-hmm. you don't have to make your own system from scratch. And it feels more like powerful and mythical because a lot of people kind of recognize a lot of what you're talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. So, And it all ties into the one of the other larger themes of the book, which is that 
hey, angels might look like hell beasts and monsters look like a dude that just lives next door to you. Well, I think they actually call Hibiscus an angel. Like he was one of the quote unquote right. Uh, He's one of the like of the utopia, the everyday angels yeah. rather than the like kind of mythological ones that right. are. Right. We we never get like full on confirmation that angels like pet were like out with everybody actively involved in the revolution, but clearly they played some kind of role. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, that I definitely had some, you know, all that is gold does not glitter moments. Um, <laughs> and again, that's a big part of the parable, but it is well done. Yeah. And the magic of the book is, yeah, inherently religious in so many ways, but it didn't bother me. And you know that we at Dragon Babies can have some strong reactions to overt Christian themes. <laughs> but uh, but I, I thought that this was well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, it is like... I don't know. I don't know. It's it's hard to say that it is even a fantasy book exactly. Um, I think it's kind of genre defying mm. in some ways. Yeah, it's many different types of work. Um, I know I keep saying parable, but then it's also a coming of age story, and it's also a mystery. Right, it's a mystery story. Um, it also has some sci-fi kind of. Feels, yeah, it's interesting. It, I don't, I don't know exactly. And I also why. think the intended age group is a little confusing. Yes, yeah. Um, it reminded me. What's the book with the the cat, the witch, the witches of Worm? Mm-hmm. It reminded me a little bit of that. Wit by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Yes, but in the um, genre defyingness of it. Yeah, for sure. And that's also a coming of age story. And that's also a book where it's like very much about the internal experience of a main character Mm -hmm. and then the bond or I mean positive or negative that they have with some kind of like supernatural creature that they bring to life, Mm -hmm. question mark. (laughs) We yeah, we have an episode on that book which was which is a real weird a great reread so definitely it's an intense book definitely <laughs> recommend that one. yeah we want to cover more Zilpha Keatley Snyder in the future yeah um yeah and and in terms of age range I was intrigued to see what Goodreads thought I just like see such <laughs> wild takes on Goodreads yeah for I mean, the last Every book we did book that we read was Tahanu. <laughs> yeah, and Tahanu and is famously polarizing, which we were boggled by because we adored it. But also, but I, I do. I mean, I get it. I get why people have different takes on it. I don't understand their takes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was boggled yeah. by. Yeah, the um, righteous cis white manness of it all. <laughs> Yeah, and the confused understandings of what feminism is um, and what a feminist text is. Bunch of feminazis. (laughs) Like, it it was very much that vibe. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, that's not not in play on the Pet Goodreads page, which, and it has 
pretty much universally positive reviews. Oh, it has like good. a 4.5, which okay. is one of the highest ratings I've seen for a book that we've covered. Cool. Um, but people tend to be like super harsh on Goodreads. I've never gone in on Goodreads on the podcast before, and I don't know if we're going to get like <laughs> angry response. But Grace <laughs> has beef. <laughs> no, and I do think it's like a valuable resource in a lot of ways. But For sure. I think people want to go in really hard on books and feel... I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stop talking. I'm just going to start being mean. But <laughs> but there there was a lot of confused discussion about who should be reading this book in terms of their age. Okay. Um, there were people saying things like, I think kids as young as like eight or nine could read it if they're somewhat familiar with LGBTQIA themes um, which hmm. I I don't think that the disagree that those themes with, are at all the age. I think I think what they confusion. meant was so that they understand Jam's transness, but but this book is to clearly teach people about Jam's transness. Yeah, her experience is like yeah, like. It's not everything from her hormone implant to her like bone density testing right. and stuff to make sure that she is developing healthily while on estrogen mm-hmm. at a young age yeah. um, to her surgery. Like yeah. it's all laid out pretty clearly. So I don't know about that piece, but then there were people saying like it's way too violent. Um, and I do want to discuss the piece that I think is a tricky part of the book, which is that they live in a utopia where violence that was enacted on others has been largely eradicated, mm-hmm. but the culminating act in the book is Pet enacting violence on hibiscus. Yeah. Um, which is complex, and I don't know exactly how I feel about it. Pet stipulates that it burns Hibiscus's eyes out because that is the only way that will get him to be honest about what he's done. So it's tied to a different type of justice. It's tied to this is the only way that like the victims will be believed because he will be honest about what he's perpetrated but it's also it's also painful (laughs) for for us and for jam and redemption too i i think based on their reactions um that it requires something like that for the adults to start believing them because the adults throughout the book don't Don't listen to them. And we get, we get this kind of like unseeing parent character fairly often in books that are similar to this, where it's like a mystery that's being solved by children. And it's more heartbreaking because it is about abuse, but the adults have been really lured into this sense of security by the fact that, I mean, they helped eradicate the monsters. So, like, they feel that they've seen the restorative justice enacted in a way that they they can just never have to worry about it again. Right. Um, yeah. But in any situation, because 
I mean, we're not going to get into the larger question of can a utopia exist, but in any situation, there is never a certainty that any one of us flawed humans isn't going to do something that yeah. is hurtful to themselves or others. Yep. Um, so that was, that was complicated. I know I just said a bunch of things, but what did you think about that? Yeah, I, I did think the theme of, uh, adults being, it, it feels, uh, it feels attached to a very interesting and often seen theme of children are better at seeing, seeing the unseen, the unseen like pet talks about, and uh, also like kind of rolled into that, the real truth Mm -hmm. of things, Mm -hmm. which, which is hard to see uh, often. I wrote my, uh, thesis on that oh wow in uh, white noise by don delillo (laughs) children's access to the sublime (laughs) (laughs) i think about that a lot too yeah uh which is interesting i felt like i was such a space cadet when i was a kid that i didn't really experience that myself i feel like the older i get and the more i understand about especially about myself, mm-hmm. you know, learning about the ways in which I experience things and, and what is quote unquote true and not, um, I, I become more insightful mm-hmm. with time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that this book gets it wrong because it's in this book, it's really tied into people don't want to think that there are monsters, mm-hmm. so they won't. They want to yeah. leave that behind them and move forward. And that's why they're so blind to the fact that there can still be monsters. And but Jam they, is guilty of that at first, too. As yeah. Pet points out, it's yeah. easier for you to keep everything pretty and nice, I think, is what mm-hmm. Pet says. Yeah. Um, but there is hunting that needs to be done. Yeah. Children are... I think better at seeing the unseen for so many reasons, but refer back to my thesis. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A piece of it in this book too, is that they haven't experienced what their parents did. And in a way, because they didn't have that type of pain, Mm. they have a greater ability to access the possibility that it could exist because they don't have that same trauma. They have generational trauma, but Mm -hmm. they don't have firsthand trauma. Jam's mom was the product of her mother's rape. Yeah. That's why her name is bitter. And that's, I mean, that's only two generations removed. Um, So I think, I think that, that may be a piece of what's happening there. So yeah, I appreciate you saying that about about it being uh, more difficult for the adults. Yeah. Um, so there's a lesson in there: never to uh, to close your eyes to you know what what the universe is is presenting for you. And yeah, and for me, like as a white person mm-hmm. to the message of like you always need to be learning and working, yeah. and undoing a harm. Yeah, that's that's what allyship is all about. It's it's an ongoing thing. You don't you know get enough XP and then you're an ally and then you're done. <laughs> <laughs> 
And in mentioning Better's name, I did want to touch on the naming conventions in this book, which were really cool, and just kind of the language of the book overall. Um, So the names are all gender neutral names, which was so cool. And it took me a little bit to like catch on and realize that I was even still trying to kind of gender the names in my head. And then I felt disappointed by myself because I was trying to find like some sort of binary feminine or masculine connotation for each of the names. That may also be a um, side effect from you learning gendered languages at different points in your For life. For sure. I yeah. was thinking about that too. <laughs> because yeah. when you're learning a non-native language mm-hmm. that's gendered, mm-hmm. which English is, it has like many gendered words, but it doesn't have like the the type of gendered agreement yeah. and uh, gender system yeah. that a lot of languages do. Yeah. And when you're learning a new language, mm-hmm. you have to create associations mm-hmm. in your head to be like, okay, this this word for some reason is feminine, this one's masculine, this one's neutral. Totally. So you, you by necessity, fall mm-hmm. into that trap of like gendering things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and having yeah having learned other Romance languages like French and Spanish, yeah. Um, yeah. Of which are yeah every noun has a gender. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is uh, yeah it definitely puts you into that mindset. So yeah. so I agree, I, and I don't think that I'm like yeah out to gender everything. In fact, truly the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do away with the binary yeah. in your hearts and your brains. Um, but I loved the, especially like the scene when we go to Redemption's house and we meet so many people and there's just this slew of super cool names. Everyone is named after um, an existing word in the English language yeah. like they're not proper well is proper noun the right thing to say yeah they're not yeah. proper nouns they're regular nouns adjectives um yeah I like mean, no one's named like Notre Dame <laughs> or Becky you know I mean which is also a proper yeah, noun right proper I looked at was like <laughs> what St. Becky. Becky. <laughs> um, it names like jam, bitter, aloe, redemption, moss, glass, hibiscus, malachite. Um, ube. Ube. Yeah, that was one of my um, favorite names. Yeah, and they carry they carry such beautiful meaning with them because of the, you know, actual tangible thing that the name also is. Did you think about what you would want your name in this society to be? Yeah, I did a little bit, but I didn't really I didn't really come up with anything perfect. What what did you come up with one? I just want to be named Crow. <laughs> I, mean, I would I would call you crow in a heartbeat. I do think having a plant name would be really cool, but then yeah. the villain of the book is named after a flower, which is also deceptive. You know, yeah. it's another yeah. another sort of um, tie into the theme. Yeah, we could call you like pothos or philodendron. It, yeah, or like acorn. Acorn oh, would yeah. be a good name. Yeah, chestnut. Um, Oh, chestnut. Yeah. yeah, chestnut sounds a little more mature. <laughs> um, and then the language of the book itself, um, it uses a ton of metaphor. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of thinking about um, whether 
it was reminding me some of something. And then I realized that it was that it sounded like an, an orally told story in a lot of ways. Okay. Like it was sort of giving me that feeling. Yeah. And then I looked at the New York Times review for the book by E.B. Zoboy. And they say that they felt that Amizi, who is Nigerian, conjures the African oral tradition. That's what I was thinking. With yeah. sweeping metaphors folded into an almost folkloric render, rendering of some of humanity's harshest truths. Um, and it was cool because the other books, we we didn't do this on purpose that all of the contemporary YA books we've covered have been by Nigerian or Nigerian-American authors. Um, but the book actually includes a lot of... Uh, a lot of the terms and especially the foods and recipes, which we get a lot of detail about, are actually from the Caribbean. And a, a lot of the ones yeah. I looked up are specifically Trinidadian. Um, and that was really cool, too. Yeah. Because the, the other contemporary books by Black authors we've read um, worked in specifically Nigerian folkloric yeah. Themes, mythology, culture, yeah, mm -hmm. um, and it was cool to get um, some influence that was coming from a different, completely different area. Um, and the food is spectacular, which we're about to get to. Should we just do it? Should we just go into <laughs> it? Pretend food <laughs> with a surge. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness, so delectable. Mm -hmm. I want to make everything that the characters eat in this book. Yeah, food is used in a really beautiful way, like similar to the way I kind of use it in my own life, which yeah. is like as a community activity, um, as like an act of love and comfort to be like creating food you know for someone <laughs> creating food cooking for someone that's what they call it well no i i don't know where i i heard or read this but someone that i trust was talking about how um the just creation of edible food necessarily um you know the further you go back into history the more that it required a a whole group of people to hunt or gather, prepare, cook, you know, do mm -hmm. do all of these different things too. And then you needed to have people protecting the people who were cooking because, yeah. you know, from other things that would want to eat the food. Um, so I, I just feel like there's this really just fulfilling thing about the, the communal uh preparation of food that hits that like basic biological sweet spot oh yeah 100 percent. yeah I, I was thinking about this last weekend because my husband and i made pasta from scratch for the first time um because we got a lovely gift of an italian pasta maker <laughs> from uh, our dear friends bonnie and amy and we, um, you know, even though we're making pasta from scratch and we also had made our sauce from scratch with vegetables that our mom gave us um, back at the end of last summer that was from her farm stand and then we froze it and made sauce out of it. Oh, so I thought like, she gave us our vegetables back. I was like, did she, why did she take them? <laughs> we like to exchange <laughs> and just hold on to and okay. then return vegetables. Sorry. 
And, but even though, you know, it feels like, oh my gosh, we contributed so much. We did this from scratch that I was thinking like, well, we didn't grind the flour. Right. Like we didn't grow yeah. the vegetables ourselves. And clearly this has stayed with me because I think I talked about it in another episode, but there's a YouTube video that I really don't like, but that I can't stop thinking about. Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's called making a chicken sandwich from scratch. And the person who made the video tried and kind of created every ingredient from the most basic point possible. I've heard of this. Um, Like grew the wheat and ground it and made the bun, but raised the the chicken. He didn't raise the chicken, which is one of the most fundamentally important things to understand if you eat meat because you need to consider how many resources you're using to create the animal that you're consuming and that it is an animal that you're consuming i think that's very important totally when you're eating meat he bought a live chicken but he didn't butcher the chicken either um anyway (laughs) so so imperfect methods he he didn't want to do any of the the grim stuff that goes into (laughs) preparing that yeah i was like why not just make a cheese sandwich that would still be interesting it'll be easier to be more honest yeah you make the cheese from scratch without having to but then you still have to get the milk from a cow i mean and where's the cow coming from so anyway, this goat? is all hard. You could you could put a goat in your backyard. That would be way easier and then you can make goat cheese. <laughs> well, and you you know, when you get down deep enough, it's like, well, where does my baby goat come from? I can't just create some kind of homunculus goat out of okay. spare ends <laughs> in my alchemy lab. Okay. Okay, Grace, I'm out I of control. Your standards are unreasonable. <laughs> alchemy (laughs) okay um anyway back to the book we actually (laughs) read so yes uh food complicated food important food community yes the first mention of food i knew that we were like gonna really really get a rich tapestry um which is when jam and her dad are sitting on the porch swing and just a casual drop of the fact that they're eating bowls of homemade ice cream. I was like, um, yeah. if I had homemade ice cream, I would never stop talking about it to anyone. And I would be the annoying girl who makes ice cream. <laughs> and maybe I will be one day. Don't have an ice cream maker yet, but I probably will at some point. Let's be real. I tried to make mason jar ice cream once and it it didn't turn out. No, it was just shaked it was sh- shooken shaken it was shaken shaken cream with brown sugar okay and then i just put it in the freezer because it didn't firm up when i was shaking it and then it just turned into like a block of frozen cream it was a fail it's like it was a when you go and do the like pioneer day at like your local history museum and they give you a little jar with butter in it that you pass around and shake yeah and then we put it on saltines and ate it and i will say a buttered saltine it's not a bad snack what's not to love (laughs) yeah if you're feeling sick i feel like i like to eat a buttered saltine or two when i'm sick 
Oh, when I'm sick, I don't put butter on it because that makes me feel worse. Just like a tiny coat. No, Grace. If I'm putting butter on something, it's it's like at least half an I inch I like just thick. like a little scrape. More for, more for texture okay. than anything else. Well, I don't um, understand you. We do take different approaches <laughs> to the way that we add fats to bread. And sweets. <laughs> and yes, but I'm thinking of your like mayonnaise and butter mm. approach specifically, yeah. as well as cream cheese. From the Midwest. Um, okay. Anyway, homemade ice cream. <laughs> but sadly, we don't know what kind of ice cream it was. Yeah. A little later, Aloe, who seems to be the cook of the household, which mm-hmm. I also like, um, is cooking something up and we get this passage a chopping board lay on his counter next to him littered with onion skins chili ends and squeezed limes jam could smell the salt fish bull joel he was making Mm. good morning my daughter aloe spooned out some bull joel on a plate sprinkled finely chopped shadow benny as a garnish and handed it to jam there was also sliced avocado drizzled with lime juice and three triangles of toast already buttered Oh my God. Yeah. I read this in the morning and I was like, Josiah, where's my salt fish <laughs> You should be making for me. Dark. Um, Is he like, I just got back from the hospital. <laughs> Please. I'm a doctor during a pandemic. <laughs> um, but uh, I did look up Shadow Benny, and it's a, uh, and I'm sorry about all my pronunciations for this passage. Um, it's a different, it's, it's an herb that is similar to cilantro in terms of flavor, but mm. it has a way better name. Do not um, like cilantro. And that, uh, that entire passage just sounds so exceptional and I want to try to make that now um but uh oh yeah and then when she's eating it we get a description of what the experience is like the bulljol was salty in her mouth smeared smooth with avocado small crunches of onion and toast fragments that sounds so good and this is the type of attention that I would like every author to pay to the food experiences that their characters are having. It's what the, it's what the graces want. It's what the graces want. And the very cool thing here is that a lot of these dishes, because they're from the Caribbean are unfamiliar to me. So it's similar to the experience of when we get fantasy food, which yes. can't exist in our world. But for me, I just haven't had it before and I can have it. It's, it's no, um, butter pie. Um, 20th century butter pie. Yeah. 21st century. What's what? wrong? Why? I don't know what you mean by that. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. That's what it's called. 20th, 21st century butter pie? Mm-hmm. Huh. I didn't remember that part. Just yeah. remembered the butter pie part. Um, and uh, yeah, and I discover so many great recipes and um, recipe websites and blogs every time we read a book that has... Meals from a different culture, and I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Akweke, for putting this in here. <laughs> um, then at Redemption's house, there's a lot of discussion of a delicious-sounding dinner of fresh-baked bread mm. and spatchcocked chicken yes. that's roasted in duck fat, which is something that we do, yeah. um, and it tastes amazing, and you just... 
it's just so fun to save everything that you make and then you get to make it into something else. That's cooking, baby. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we have a chest freezer because we just store all our little odds and ends like little gremlins and then we... uh, Turn them into soups and pies and whatnot. My chest freezer is full of frozen peas. <laughs> That's like another way that you can use four a chest of the massive bags of it in there. <laughs> Madeline subsists on a significant percentage of your diet is frozen peas. Here's what ails you, which is fine. Fills up your tub as long as you're eating other things as well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nutrients, please. <laughs> Um, then there is the passage that Madeline has already mentioned, um, with fried plantains, fried plantains and slanted golden slices. You're making dodo. It was redemption's favorite food. Something Malachi had banned temporarily in their house because she said it couldn't be good for anyone to eat that much of anything fried for every meal. That's that's a good point. (laughs) And Aloe even like teases him and is like, if I knew you were coming, I would have sliced five more plantains. There won't be enough. (laughs) Um, But it just, that also just sounds absolutely delicious. Um, I don't eat enough plantains. Shall we proceed to Badass Lady Meter? Yeah, there's no animals in this book. Yeah, there's no animals in this book. No. We, we typically have a segment in which we discuss just like animals, animals just like animals, animals in, this book. in this book. Let's go to Badass Lady Meter. Does that mean that animals are monsters? <laughs> Where have they all gone? I'm, I'm sure they're around. There's just like a lot just going on. Just wasn't room for them. Yeah. And pet is not an animal. So. No. No. Simply can't be discussed. Yeah. Badass Lady Meter. This book is a great opportunity for us to just reiterate that Badass Lady Meter is not us prioritizing a lady, gendering our characters as women. It is a comment on the concept of badass ladies being important, quote unquote, characters in books that are geared toward especially young girls and how often those characters are just like superficial stereotypes who don't have real thoughts or feelings or act like real people at all, but just like swing swords around. They do what a man does. (laughs) But they ain't a man. (laughs) My cat just freaked out when you did that. (laughs) And so Badass Lady is really just a way for us to single out some favorite characters. Yeah. Would you like to go first? My badass lady is. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Ube. <laughs> Ube is great. I wish that he were in the book more. I it's, know it's a it's a short book, and it also progresses pretty rapidly. The yeah. events cover like a week, if that. Yeah. No, that's 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 true. Not a lot of library visits. Two, to be precise. And uh, my rating for Ube is, uh, you know, the the coolest, fanciest canine gem that that one can find and purchase. (laughs) Made me want a canine gem. I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Sparkling in the light of the library. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Great rating. Thank you. 
Um, and I'll give it a jam. Thank you. I love jam. Yeah. We love jam. She's a great character. Um, something we didn't discuss in detail is that the main children's ages are confusing um, because jam and redemption are 15 or 16, but they often feel like they're treated as younger yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that is a commentary on a few different things. For one, I think 15 and 16 year olds are often treated as adults mm. in film especially and television um but in books too yeah and i think that's really dangerous they are still children 18 year olds are still children in so many ways yeah i mean Um, everyone's everyone's experience is different but i don't think i stopped being a child until i was like 22 (laughs) and it it really contributes in a lot of ways to the like over sexualization Mm. of teens um and I appreciated that they got to like still be kids. Yeah. And I wonder if there is some larger connection to them living in this really different society. Um, I'm not sure, but the family units are super close and the parents are like very affectionate and loving with even their teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Some people on Goodreads didn't like that. <laughs> I can tell you right now. More Goodreads vendetta. <laughs> They're going to start talking about you, oh Grace. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll be part of the drama. Find the Dragon Babies discussion page. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Jam is just so cool. There is one passage that I didn't get a chance to mention before, but um, it's something Jim says about the painting that her mom has finished, the one that Pet is going to come out of. She is about to go into the studio and look at the painting right after it's finished, Mm -hmm. and then she stops, and she says, the painting must be so fresh. Maybe it would be better to let it settle a little. Maybe it was too soon. It had just left her mother's hands. It seemed wrong to expose it to her own eyes without letting it have some time to itself. Mm. Just to exist, you know, just to be. Everyone, everything deserved some time to be, to figure out what they were, even a painting. Bitter finishing it was just her telling it what she thought it was or what she'd seen it as. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. And I think that is a that passage is about being trans. Yeah. Um, and it applies to every human. And I think it's something that we don't spend enough time thinking about. And as someone who has been in like pretty intense therapy for three and a half years now, um, having done it before too, but like, you know, this is the time where it feels uh like it's really yeah <laughs> sticking yeah um but i'm you know doing a lot of self reflection especially lately mm-hmm. and these are things that are really valuable to remember that like we decide who we are and even if there are patterns that have been worked into us we can change them we can still find ourselves mm. um and i really really appreciated the um, graceful, articulate way that Jam presents that. Yeah. That the yeah. author presents it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is uh, said through through her character, Jam. My rating for Jam 
is a chest freezer not full of frozen peas, but full of homemade ice cream. Feels kind of like a read, Grace. <laughs> homemade ice creams. <laughs> and I have to I have to seek some out now. It's it's sunny in Seattle today, so maybe that means I should eat some ice cream. I'm gonna stop at the Safeway on the way back and get some uh, three dollar quart of cookie dough. <laughs> I think I'll be seeking out a different type of ice cream. My ice cream habits are alarming to most people, so I'm not going to go into it. I I weigh ice cream value depending on the, the price per square foot. I just needed to have a lot of cookie dough in it. Yeah, I think we've touched on this before, but Madeline eats cookie dough ice cream in a very disrespectful way. That's what I already said. That you, <laughs> you can probably figure out. I wasn't going to talk about it. What's been said here. <laughs> and with that, we've concluded our discussion on Pet by Aquike Amizi. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of you, and we are loving trying out some of these newer contemporary YA fantasies. Um, please feel free to recommend. Yeah, please feel free to recommend that out, um, yeah. books by Black or Indigenous authors, by BIPOC authors, mm-hmm. um, by non-binary or non-binary authors. authors. Yeah, we are loving getting to experience different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think you are too. You love it. You love our podcast. I mean, if you've listened all the way to the end of this episode and are hearing us say this, then, you know. And if you do love the podcast, if you'd like to uh, right now, just in the Apple Podcast app, if that's what you're using, just hop on over and give us a little review. It's great for our uh, visibility. Visibility. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And for our brains and our hearts. Yeah, it makes us really happy. So So, thank you. The next book that we are going to cover is going to be The Phantom Toll Booth by Norton Juster in honor of his recent passing. Um, we've held off on covering this because I guess I didn't think of it as fantasy, but it is. It's for a younger audience than a lot of our books, too, but who cares? This is our podcast. We can and do what I, we want. And in a wild turn of events, I just learned that Madeline's never read it, which is, like, still blowing my mind. Um, I'm in trouble. So <laughs> look out for that in the next few weeks. Um, if you'd like to see the book cover, other media we've mentioned, other episodes of ours we've mentioned, you can visit our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. And you can also connect with us on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and Twitter at dragonbabiespod. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Farewell. <laughs>